Hello everybody, my name is Eric Mercier. I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today I'm gonna to walk you through the January edition of our Natural Wine Club. Uh, today in the quasi-studio, we have, uh, you know, a legend of the natural wine game. Uh, <laughs> the, the other co-owner of Juice, we have Mark Couillard. Uh, Mark, introduce yourself to the people. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to believe by now most people know who I am, but uh, I guess I don't come on here very often. I, I, I do wonder if it's just because Eric couldn't find any other guests, so uh, I'm kind of the default. But Literally everybody is sick and or <laughs> is uh, quarantining for fear of sickness or... Uh, also, it's between Christmas and New Year's. Everybody's busy. That's fair. Uh, well, so you're you're my only option. <laughs> I'll still take it. Seems like a good way to uh, to ring in the New Year. So uh, yeah, here we are. I hope everyone's had a, a wonderful holiday season so far. <laughs> I mean, at least as best as we can, given the the current circumstances. But hey, if nothing else, there's always wine. Yeah, for sure. We are drinking it excessively. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. So we're gonna jump into the wines right off the bat. Here, um, we. So this is the first wine that we have, Cantina Marlina Cue, um, which is uh, coming from Sicily. This is a wine that the second that I tasted it last year, I knew that the following vintage I was going to order uh, enough for it to fit into wine club. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those wines that the second that I tasted it, I was like, oh, absolutely. I want all of this all the time. Uh, this is about as joyous as a wine gets, in my opinion. Uh, I, th I think that goes across the board today for our wines in this lineup. They're, they're all very, um, yeah, sort of uplifting, which is kind of what we need right now. Um, so Cantina Marlina, uh, for those of you who don't remember from the wines that we included in, in wine club last year from, from Marlina, um, essentially her father, Angelo Paterno, uh, was originally working for a large, you know, sort of commercial winery, ended up saving up enough money and finding this like really cool vineyard to sort of venture out on his own, ended up starting Cantina Marlina named after his daughter who now runs the estate, uh, along with her sister, Frederica, um, so sort of like tag team, uh, Marlena doing most of the winemaking, uh, Frederica uh, apparently working in the vineyard most of the time. Uh, and they're basically in this beautiful site in southern Sicily planted on, uh, you know, these, these sort of like radiant white calcareous soils. Uh, and she's obsessed with the sunshine. Whenever you listen to interviews with her, she's always talking about the fact that she really wants to... Uh, capture the beauty of Sicily's, you know, sort of never-ending sunshine. And I think in Alberta, we're, we're very lucky that we get, you know, as much sunshine as they do in Sicily, although it usually doesn't get down to <laughs> minus 50 in Sicily. Uh, but at least we understand the idea of like really falling in love with the sunshine. So her whole idea is to capture that Sicilian sunshine in every bottle. Uh, and this site is kind of the, the perfect place to do that. Uh, this is made from a grape called Moscato. Um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk about Moscato, uh, but Muscat, your thoughts on Muscat, you know, what it normally does? Well, I mean, the, the obvious thing that comes to mind is, is the same battle we always have with Riesling, which I think we've even talked about on here before, mm -hmm. is just this idea that, uh, unfortunately, Moscato has gotten kind of a bad name because of uh, how it's typically presented, which is, you know, sort of a sweeter sappy style I don't know it's just uh, a lot of a lot of I'm trying to think of like the really classic cheap Moscato that yeah like Moscato Dasty like, yeah uh, but like the actual brand there's like certain brands um, but yeah in any case <laughs> it's it's like 
equivalent to one of the barefoot <laughs> kind of things that yeah, comes out sure. like White Zinfandel or something like that, where it's just uh, kind of sickly sweet. Um, and, and I think that's what blew me away uh, by this particular bottle was, uh, you know, I mean, I know that dry Moscato is a thing. It's not like I had never had one before, but I wouldn't say there's a ton of it on our market. Um, again, mostly because consumers are just afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, stores and restaurants aren't, aren't going to uh, uh, make a point of carrying it. But when we tried the sample for the first time, I was just like blown away by the nose. Um, Moscato being a very aromatic grape. Now I'm someone who loves, you know, sort of Gewürztraminer and, and very aromatic Rieslings. So that's something I really appreciate. I know it's not always everyone's cup of tea, but I think if you can get that kind of character, uh, in a wine that's ultimately dry, um, I don't know. I think people can learn to love it. Um, do you know which, uh, which clone this is? Cause that's one thing I'm always a little confused that you can mm. probably like, uh, shed a little more light on is like Muscat d'Alexandria, I guess is kind of the most common or the one I see most often. Yeah. Know, that's probably what this is. Yeah. Um, yeah, typically in, in, yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Uh, so yeah, as Mark alluded to, Muscat is not just like a uniform grape variety. There are kind of a bunch of uh, grape varieties that fit in within this category of, of Muscat. Uh, the, I don't know, arguably the one that is the highest quality is Muscat Blanc Petit Grain, uh, which you would see in places like Alsace, for mm-hmm. instance. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Muscat d'Alexandria, uh, and then there's a handful of other like subspecies that aren't actually technically related, but somehow fall under this muscat category. Uh, it's the choice of ampelography. We, we haven't nailed it yet. Uh, Got to do a lot of, uh, you know, sort of DNA analysis of each of these grape varieties. Um, they've just labeled it Moscato. So I, I don't know which, uh, which particular clone yeah. it is. That's actually interesting. We should totally reach out to her and, and find out mm-hmm. and be very curious. Um, yeah, again, my assumption was was Alexandria because it seems like most of the reading I've done on that region in particular yeah. um, uh, is that. But I mean, either way, I mean, it's got the pretty classic like uh, muscat character to it. I mean, I just can't get over you know when you were talking about the sunshine and I'm smelling the wine and I'm like, yeah, like it yeah. really does just kind of smell like sunshine. Totally. Uh, to me, it just makes me think of like again, like grassy field it does not even that it has a grassy character but just like the sun like being out in a meadow yeah uh, it's got this floral element um you know like tropical fruits like just yeah, like oh. so much pineapple it's, yeah it's kind of mind-bending um and really like uh like orange oil like it reminds me mm, a lot yeah. of like uh you know when they take like the the orange peel and like kind of twist it over the top of your 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 drink when you're getting a cocktail oh, uh yeah, yeah. that sort of like little spritz of orange it definitely has that orange skin or like the way that your hands smell after you, you peel an orange mm-hmm. it's like got that quality to it that really sort of orange orange blossom honeysuckle yeah well and, and again going back to the sunshine thing like so much about wine for me, of course, is is the emotion or the or the feel it gives you when you when you first crack open a bottle and, and have a sip. I mean, there are lots of classic wines out there that taste great, but they don't really like do anything for me, I guess. And mm-hmm. uh, um, definitely, when I smell this, like whether it's actually just the the aromas I get or whether it's just like a feeling, it uh, it doesn't surprise me that it's from Sicily. Just no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, it is so Sicilian. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the other interesting things about Cantina Marlina and, and what Marlina has done is that she's gone 
full old school with winemaking. Um, so she does a little bit of time um, letting the grapes sit in contact uh, with the grape skins. So the grape juice and the grape skins sort of macerating together for a short period of time um, before she presses that off into concrete. Uh, so concrete tanks have been used since Roman times. Um, this is like the traditional way of doing fermentation, especially in Sicily, uh, in Southern Italy in general. And I think that it adds a ton of character to the wine. Uh, concrete is neutral. It doesn't have any flavor to it. It's not like oak where you're going to smell concrete. Uh, but the nice thing about concrete is that it breathes. It's still porous, so it still allows a micro amount of oxygen. But because these are, are larger vessels than a barrel, again, we're talking about like a, like a concrete tank built into the wall of a, of a winery. Um, the amount of oxygen that you're getting is really, really small. So you're able to preserve a lot of the sort of delicate fruit characteristics while at the same time getting these sort of round, softer structures. Um, one of the things about Italian Moscato uh, is that it tends to be, at least the northern versions tend to be, again, sweet, uh, extraordinarily high in acid, uh, very low in alcohol. And this is sort of the opposite of all those things where yes, there's acidity here and it is fresh, but at the same time, it's 13 and a half percent alcohol. It's weighty, it's rich, it's decadent. Uh, again, it's really reminding me of a lot of like tiki drinks, like almost getting that, uh, sort of like hint of, of like coconut and, and rum and pineapple and all those sort of things going for it. Um, but yeah, really old school winemaking techniques here. Yeah, kind of a good point, actually, because, uh, you know, you mentioned Mos Moscato Dasty, and, and that's what I, when I think of, like, you know, uh, obviously that's <laughs> can be cheap, can be tasty at times, but uh, but definitely there are some, some fairly cheap versions. I think of, like, liking it to a sort of high, high highly manufactured Prosecco. Mm -hmm. Like, it kind of gives me that same sort of feel, like high acid, kind of aromatic, but not really. Mm -hmm. Um and just like not a whole lot going on, whereas this is like fairly serious for how joyous so it is. So serious, it's, yeah. Uh, it's definitely like you said, thirteen and a half. It's got some weight. I definitely find whites in concrete always have that sort of like textural element mm -hmm. that I can't quite put my finger on. I don't know why it does it, but uh, it's always there. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. I think there's actually some aging potential in this wine too. Hmm. I would love to see this in five years when it sort of goes like, you know, full like butterscotchy kind of. You know, some of those like fresher fruits sort of die back into almost this more sort of custardy kind of kind of realm. Um, regardless, I really like this style. Good for the moment. Thank okay. you, though. Um, yeah, I absolutely adore this. Um, I will pick your brain for for wine pairings. I've already written up my wine pairings for this, but it's always interesting asking you because. I feel like we eat different things mm, yeah. as a general statement. And so it's interesting to see the way that different people's minds go when they're tasting certain wines. And Moscato being, a, you know, I would say, a challenging pairing mm -hmm. in the sense that the things that it goes with, it goes with so well that it really elevates the food and the food really elevates the wine. But like a bad Muscat pairing is is heinous. <laughs> so I'd be curious to know which direction you'd go here. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, you think... Uh, you think white wine from Italy or from uh, from Sicily, you know. You think bright, fresh. The first thing I think of is seafood, of course. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want seafood with this. No, no. Like nice. that is not. Uh, I mean, again, thirteen and a half percent, like a little weightier. Um, I don't mean you want it cold, but you don't want it so cold that it's going to kill the aromatics. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think for that reason, I would steer clear of that. Um, 
I mean, the thing that comes to mind actually is not even so much meals as it is like certain types of cheese and charcuterie. Mm. Um, I think of those like, uh, what are those almonds? The really salty, oily almonds. I can't remember what the DOC is. Yeah. But, uh, Marcona. Yeah. Marcona almonds. Um, yeah. I think it's something like that. Totally. Uh, you know, uh, any sort of citrus kind yeah. of like leaning towards, uh, um, anything with orange or orange peel in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just, I kind of just want to drink it though. <laughs> like that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Um, I like that. I, I, I like your idea of like more sort of like Italian charcuterie vibes, like yeah, Italian like cheese board. Yeah, kinda. exactly. Like, uh, yeah, I could see this going really well with like Gorgonzola, like go mm. with, uh, you know, an Italian blue cheese, um, something yeah. kind of in that realm or like, um, uh, what's the, what's the one that they always serve like really melty? Um, mm. darn, I can't think of what it was. I remember back in the Vonderfels days, uh, they did that like fried cheese yeah. dessert. You're right. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. It's so good. It was just like fried cheese with a little bit of honey on it. Mm. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Sign me up with with this i think that'd be fun yeah uh ironically uh my pairing was fish oh, was it? i was gonna say i feel uh, like uh but like, i guess as long as it has like some citrus i, I went like a thai direction though i did like a uh, thai okay. green curry yep. as the as my suggested uh pairing for this uh but uh yeah no either way i really dig it um yeah well and it's funny because you're talking about you know blue cheese and you're talking about a thai curry and these sorts of things and and you know, often the pairing I, I have with that is like a off dry Riesling. Yeah. Um, and so as much as I say, like, that's a perfect style for that food. Uh, I mean, first of all, don't get tricked into thinking that we're, <laughs> we're saying this is dry and it's not totally dry. It is dry, but it's got, it's yeah. just got enough elements to it that I think it could stand up to dishes like that. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to say too, is that this wine is dry. I, I know that some people are going to taste it or smell it. I think they'll smell it and be like, oh, this is a sweet wine. It's genuinely not. It has like virtually <laughs> no sugar in it. It has an oiliness to it for mm-hmm. sure. It has a fruitiness to it, uh, but it's not, this is not sugar. This is not sugar sweet. Uh, this is just like, this is just wine that just happens to taste this way, which is super fun. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard not to, again, drink this and think of the sun and just think of, of being in Sicily with a little cheese board and like, you know, overlooking yeah. the coast or something, which of course is something we hope to do considering, uh, we picked up Cantina Marilina in 2020. Yeah. Um, when the pandemic was already underway. So, I mean, we haven't, we haven't actually been there to visit. Um, so it's gotta be pretty high on the list. I'd say. Yeah. Super they just seem like such wonderful people too. Um, oh yeah. Even just through correspondence, um, um, seems super lovely and super engaging and, uh, definitely keen on, on having us down there. So, um, yeah, <laughs> got to make the trip. I mean, it's a tough life, but someone's, yeah, <laughs> so, somebody's got to do it. Uh, cool. We'll jump into our first red. Uh, and it is very red. The color of this wine is absolutely mind bending. It is like ultraviolet purple. Yeah. It's kind of like Dornfelder. Totally. Yeah. Dornfelder, like Malbec. Alicante Boucher, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's got that crazy purple color to it. Um, this is the first wine in wine club ever from Quebec. Um, 
basically we just got like hounded so much by uh, people in the wine club to include a wine from Pinard de Fee uh, in the wine club that we figured, you know, we might as well listen and, and actually do it. And we were actually able to get a big enough allocation in order to, uh, you know, make it happen this time. Um, so this is the Vin de Jardin, uh, so the garden wine, essentially. Uh, I think it's a beautiful name for a wine, and, and this wine gets me super excited. Have you had this before? Uh, I did, yeah. Nice. Only Sweet. once. Okay, um, awesome. Yeah. Just wasn't sure. Um, so this is uh, made from what we call hybrid grape varieties. So most of the grape varieties that people are familiar with um, are European grape varieties. So Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, etc., etc. Like name literally every grape variety you can you can basically think of that goes into wine, um, and those are going to be European grape varieties. Um, the challenge with European grape varieties is that they are not uh, they're susceptible to certain diseases that we have here uh, and that are now global, but that started off in in North America. Um, things like phylloxera, which is a louse that lives in the soil and uh, nibbles on the uh, the roots of grapevines, for instance, they're, they're very susceptible to that. Um, they're susceptible to different types of mildew and rot and all these sort of things. Not only that, but they grew up in, in Europe. Um, you know, uh, our climate gets a little bit more intense here uh, for, you know, over the last couple of weeks as we sit here in a deep freeze of, of you know, minus 40 degrees or whatever it, it got down to. Um, so what people did back in the day was they started crossing grape varieties of North American grape varieties uh, and European grape varieties to try and make something that was as delicious as, as, and as compelling as European grape varieties once it's turned into wine, um, but also more resistant to sort of the challenges that we have here in, in especially Canada uh, when it comes to grape growing. And so these, this is made from three different grape varieties, uh, all from the Frontenac family, Frontenac Rouge, Frontenac Gris, and Frontenac Blanc, um, all blended together. Uh, it's a really interesting winemaking process. Um, some of it was done uh, sort of carbonic maceration style. Some of it was done direct press. Uh, and then some of it was uh, foot crushed and fermented on skins like you would with a traditional red wine, even though we have both red, uh, pink, and white grapes here. Um, Hybrid grapes have gotten a bad rap over the years because uh, early on in the world of hybrid grapes, the ones that were coming out were mostly focused on on yields and productivity as opposed to on quality. Uh, now people have honed in, figured out how to make these wines taste better, and now you know Pinard de Fee is, is one of the most sought after wines in North America right now by a long shot. Uh, you can really only drink them in uh, in Quebec. Uh, where they're from. Uh, there's no retailers that have them, so you have to drink them in a restaurant. You can get them in Ontario, but they're honestly twice the price that they are here. Uh, and you can get them in New York. And uh, believe me, they are also extraordinarily expensive in New York, and they're hard to get your hands on. So the fact that we have them in Alberta is just, its we feel very lucky. And the fact that we get them for the prices that we do, um, again, we also feel really lucky. Yeah, I um, actually poured uh, this a few weeks ago for, for a restaurant. Um, and there was a French-Canadian uh, sommelier, and, yeah. and she couldn't get over the fact that we had Pinard Fee. She's like, I can't get this in Quebec. Why Why do you have it here in Alberta? <laughs> like, that makes no sense. Um, yeah. yeah, it, it was, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I'm happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, essentially what happened was, was early on, like almost, I guess like four years ago now, uh, we f I phoned Fred, the, the winemaker slash proprietor, and was like, hey, can I, can I have 
can I bring your wines into Alberta? And this was sort of before they had fully blown up, but at the same time, they're really small production. And uh, he initially said no. And then we had this huge conversation. Honestly, I remember it so vividly. We were, I was standing in the park uh, and I was just pacing around, but that was the only time he could talk and I couldn't get back to my apartment in time. So I was like, screw it. I'll just take this conversation in the park. And I was just wandering around asking him questions about farming because they have to do really crazy things like actually bury the vines during the winter uh, and put this stuff called geotechs over the top of it in order to prevent them from freezing. Um, and more importantly, to prevent them from waking up prematurely in the spring. Uh, you know how we always get that warm week in like February or March? Well, essentially the vine would wake up and then freeze again, which would kill the vine. So they, they have to put this insulating layer over the top of it to make sure that the, the vine doesn't you know fluctuate in temperature too much. Um, they're working with some really interesting soils there, mostly with different types of clay, uh, which is challenging because those are quite cold soils and they retain a lot of moisture. Um, so anyways, we ended up geeking out a ton and he was like, yeah, we don't really have any wine for you. But after this conversation, like I feel like I can find a small allocation. He was not able to find a small allocation and we waited an additional two and a half years. Uh, but eventually he reached out to us and was like, hey, I actually have wine for you now. I would love to you know, work with you. And we've been working together ever since. And it's honestly such a treat uh, to get to get to share his wines. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you want to talk about sort of your experience with hybrid grape varieties? I know sort of right off the bat, you were, you were not a fan of hybrids, but you're maybe now turning the corner here. Yeah, well, um, so I spent I spent uh, quite a bit of time in Ontario, and uh, um, there are definitely obviously lots of great wines coming out of Ontario, but there there was a lot of experimentation with hybrids and and uh, not a lot of successful experimentation with hybrids, at least not in the wines I had. Uh, I'm sure things have come a long way. I mean, it's it's amazing how quickly the Canadian wine scene is changing. Um, you know, so that was 10 years ago. So, I mean, 10 years can make a, a huge difference, but, um, yeah, I just, uh, I hadn't had a lot of good experience with them. Um, and you know, I don't know whether it's the characteristic foxy flavor that everyone talks about. Um, I just didn't find them very invigorating or very exciting. Uh, and, and I also had, you know, maybe some of the wines from, uh, the Annapolis Valley in, in mm. Nova Scotia that, that just, you know, fell short of kind of what, what my expectations were. And, and they weren't that cheap. That was the thing is I was like, well, you know, if it's going to be 35 or $40 a bottle, why am I going to keep buying these wines that just aren't as good as the equivalent? Totally. Like, it's just, I appreciate that we're trying to grow grapes here, but at the same time, I, you know, admittedly, I've always had a little bit of this philosophy that like, if you have to grow hybrid grapes, then it's probably not a wine growing region, you <laughs> yeah. know? So, I mean, obviously I've come, I've come full circle on that. Um, and I think if you're able to do it, uh, I think my bias was more just because I was tasting a lot of these wines and they weren't very good. And mm -hmm. I was kind of like, well, then it's obviously not a good grape growing region. Um, but I think, you know, uh, people like this and, and, um, you know, like Tarek working in, in Ontario and, uh, some of the other, you know, hybrid styles we've had from producers that we really appreciate um, are going about it the right way. Uh, and like you said, the the extreme focus on the farming and the techniques and, and yeah. uh, you know, how, what you have to do to preserve the vines um, have, have come a long way. I still think they have like very different flavor profiles from what mm. a lot of people would be used to but i think we've seen uh you know grape republic being a perfect example i didn't even mention them when i was talking about hybrids they're <laughs> they're almost exclusively hybrids um yeah i think what we've seen uh is that 
you know, we're used to a very Eurocentric palate or a very Eurocentric kind of idea of what a wine is supposed to taste like. And if it's anywhere out of those boundaries, it's considered funky or weird or different. And fine, it is different, but that doesn't make it bad. Uh, it just makes it, you know, again, go back to when you were a kid and the first time you ever had like Indian food or, you know, yeah, food totally. that wasn't part of your, or, or Thai food or whatever, at least in my case, because yeah. I'm not Indian or, or Thai. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, food that, that I wasn't familiar with. And of course, like I probably didn't like it at first cause I was a pretty picky eater, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, obviously I've grown to love those things and it's, it's just, uh, um, you know, I, I take something like this and I'm, I don't, my, <laughs> I, I always get a kick out of the, uh, his wines are very uplifted on the palate. I find there's mm-hmm. always this like incredible, like, I don't know, good acid, like saltiness, like this one, I'm like it has the same effect on me as smelling salts. Like when I smell and taste it, I'm just like, <laughs> holy crap, I'm awake now. Totally. Um, it's yeah. just so bright and fresh. Uh, I mean, definitely, as you did, serve it with a chill, I would say. Um, yeah. It's definitely a good bottle to have a little chill on. Don't let the pop top fool you. It's it's not uh, sparkling, although it does tend to have like a little bit of effervescence, I find, in this bottle. Yeah. Um, at least in the ones I've opened, which again, yeah, just it's adds, like prickly. Yeah, it's not the same sparkly. like good ago, yeah. like always totally. has that. And it's just like, again, kind of uplifts the wine, give it, gives it like a little freshness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vin de Jardin to me is, is pretty accurate. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like a mixture of fruit and vegetable garden. Yeah. Um, which I really love. And of course we've, we've had a bunch of wines out of say the Jura, you know, from like Ganavat and, and mm-hmm. people like that, that have this same sort of character to them. Mm-hmm. And of course, no one's talking about how Ganavat's wines are, I mean, they talk about how they're a little different, I guess, but yeah. they're highly sought after. So totally. Yeah, this is fucking delicious. <laughs> like, I've done a pretty good job of not swearing on this show for forever, but this wine is completely blowing my mind right now, and I've had it before. I was about to ask. Like, I was like, have you not? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I used it in, uh, we did a, an amazing collaboration with Dean House uh, a couple months ago now. Yeah, I don't even know yeah, how long yeah. ago that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, time is just no longer relevant. But um, yeah, I used it uh, in a pairing uh, for them. And, and we did a cheese board with this because I was like, I want to do this as we don't really have any dessert wines in our portfolio. And I, I'm not like, I love desserts almost more than anything in the world. But when I'm doing wine pairings, when the focus is the wine pairings, I feel like desserts are sort of like unnecessary. So I'd rather do like a cheese course to finish. And so we did a cheese course, um, with this as sort of like our, yeah, our, cool. our ender. Um, and yeah, it's, again, I think it tastes even better than last time. And it's, and I liked it a lot last time. So I'm just, again, very happy with this. Um, yeah. yeah, from like a tasting note profile, again, I think you've nailed it. I think it's that like, it's got so much dark fruit to it. It's really like cassis, uh, really blackberry, really like wild blueberry. Um, but then also this like crunchy red beet kind of quality to it. Um, mm, beets, for sure. Yeah, really like licorice-y, kind of like cola. Um, yeah, like lots of lots of fun, like kind of candies, like like red candies mm. of some sort. Uh, yeah, and definitely a floral element here too, like this really sort of beautiful like red wildflower kind of quality. And then pairing suggestions. Again, like this is so versatile. It's going to cut through the fat on pretty much anything. Um, it's got dark enough fruit that it can go with game meats, I think, pretty comfortably. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's yeah. quite versatile. That was definitely like when I was having it, I was thinking 
uh, either like a white meat, like a pork, mm-hmm. um, or turkey. honestly, like Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. <laughs> or like Christmas dinner, like with cranberry sauce. Anything like totally uh, any sort of game meat with a with a cranberry style or you know wild berry style. Yeah, um, it actually reminds me a lot of. Uh, uh, Partridge berry, I was going to say, uh, huh. which they like only have in Newfoundland, I think. Wow. Um, Mark coming through with the uh, with the Eric Mercier <laughs> taste. I was going to say, that's usually an Eric Mercier thing. Is, oh, don't is worry. In the write-up, I grapes used, that no one's I, ever I used uh, aronia berry. Okay, I was going to say uh, berries that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's just so specific to, uh, I mean, Canada. I'm not sure if they have yeah. partridge berry in Quebec. That would make a lot of sense. But it's... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it has that. like a darker character, but then also this like tangy like sort of totally. salty character to yeah, it that, definitely uh, yeah. Uh, yeah but I just picture that with like a game meat or a pork or something like totally. that and like holy yeah. cow yeah. yeah and 11% alcohol here so again you, you know me and, and loving low alcohol wines although uh, the the white that we have is 13.5 uh, <laughs> today and then uh, our next wine is at 13% but yeah this is coming in at 11 so it, it you know helps our average a little bit mm-hmm uh, cool. Well, we'll jump into our final wine now. Um, we got uh, wine from a brand new producer who we haven't included in Wine Club before, uh, who has only been available in Alberta for about a month, maybe even less than that now, actually. Um, but this is Laurent Cazot. Uh, this is a producer that I've admired a ton uh, over the last, again, sort of like five, six years here um, after, after first trying this stuff. Uh, and being completely blown away. Uh, what makes Laurent really interesting is that he's both a distiller and a winemaker. Uh, he has uh, not only vineyards, but he also has these really beautiful gardens and orchards. Uh, so he grows a ton of different species of apples, uh, pears, um, grows things like over 200 different species of tomatoes that he uses to make a tomato liqueur. Uh, he has green walnuts, uh, he has, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't even know what else he has on this farm. He actually grows uh, a lot of different flowers that he then distills and then uses that as sprays on his vineyard instead of using uh, chemical sprays or, or anything like that. So he's literally making his own uh, you know, herbicides and pesticides out of things that he grows between the rows of vines, between the rows of uh, you know, of trees, essentially. Um, even in his actual vineyards, uh, you'll notice that every couple of rows, there will be uh, like a random tree, essentially. Uh, and the whole idea is that he wants to get as much biodiversity as humanly possible, make it a really amazing environment for things like bees and, and whatever to, to be living in there. Um, he's definitely maybe more famous for his, his distillates, so his eau de vies, um, but I honestly think that his wines deserve a ton more attention because they're incredibly well-priced, first of all. Uh, and second of all, they're made from indigenous grape varieties. So grape varieties that are, uh, that are from this actual region uh, in sort of south-central France uh, called the Tarn. Um, and this is made from Jurassic Noir. Uh, Jurassic Noir, really old grape variety, been around for hundreds of years. Um, but, uh, there's not a lot of it planted anymore. Uh, I think somewhere around 600 hectares. That's, that's all that's left. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, there's not a lot going around. Uh, <laughs> this is your first time trying this one? Uh, it is. Yeah. Um, and you know, funny as, as Eric alluded to, like he's, he's been talking about Kazat for, for a number of years. Um, and, uh, I think it was Kazat that, 
thought was going to be with another agency, right? And then we ended up... Yeah. So, yeah, actually, like, you know, way back, I know Eric was, was super keen on them. And, of course, after uh, he told me about them and I kind of looked looked up uh, what they're all about, you know, definitely keen. And we were talking about, like, some cool spirits and all that. And then uh, Eric reached out and turns out he had <laughs> he had just talked with another agency from Alberta, which is sort of sort of crazy and uh and you know signed up with them and i think it, like i swear it was like a year at least a year and a half or something it was like quite a long while uh, yeah uh, it was a little less yeah but, maybe a little less than that but yeah a long time yeah it was definitely a long time when uh he reached back out and he was like hey by the way <laughs> uh we didn't end up working with that uh that agency and so we got the opportunity we we definitely jumped all over it but i i remember when we went to order it was kind of funny because i was realizing like well we can't order an entire pallet of spirits like yeah first of all we'll be bankrupt because that's yeah. so much money um but also i mean you're taking a pretty big uh pretty big leap there as as delicious as we think these spirits are and, and so i remember you were saying well we can grab some of his wines as well i was like well you know do we have samples have we tried them and i know you you tried a few before i think but yeah um but, uh, yeah, I mean, we kind of took a leap of faith. We were like, well, if I mean, he's that good at distilling, I don't see why he couldn't be a good winemaker. Yeah. <laughs> he, seems, he seems pretty crazy in everything he does. So, um, yeah. uh, you know, usually that's turned out pretty well for us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got the wines, and, and uh, I guess I've had three of the five so far, and, and they've all been excellent. I mean, they're definitely uh, sort of these really cool characters in these grapes that people aren't familiar with. I mean, we had the Prunelar earlier, and that's a whole different ballgame on itself. Oh, yeah. The Champetra, the white, is just unbelievably good. Yeah. Um, and this is super cool. This is my first time trying it. Um, but it, it definitely screams that sort of uh, southern France, um, totally. sort of a little bit of heat to yeah. it. I mean, it's not quite over in the, the Mediterranean side, so I guess it's probably not that hot. Because um, this would just be sort of south of Bordeaux, I guess, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. South east, maybe. Um, but it definitely has that sort of like, you, you You definitely feel the transition from sort of like Loire Valley, Bordeaux, down into down into the hotter regions of France and down into Spain. Yeah. Um, where it feels like it has a little more weight to it, despite being like, I don't know, still kind of fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely a grape I've heard tons about. And I mean, I've definitely, I, I mean, I've had, I've had it before, but been very, very small. Like, I, I actually can't place where I've had it. I just uh, know it. Fabian Juve. Ah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think. I was like, I know I've had this before, and I yeah. couldn't figure out exactly, uh, exactly where. But uh, that would be it. But I, I mean, not a lot of examples of this. Yeah, exactly. One <laughs> other example ever. Uh, yeah, it's such a cool grape variety. For me, there's a lot of textural similarities to Pinot Noir. Um, like on the palate, it reminds me a lot of like California Pinot Noir, like a little bit more sort of plush, juicy red fruits, kind of an inkiness to it on the palate. I was going to say inky iodine, um, like kind yeah, of. Yeah, definitely talcum-y uh, kind of qualities. Uh, with the Prunelar, uh, our friend Ben had the really great tasting note of Flintstone vitamin. And I think on the nose, <laughs> this has like definitely some of that Flintstone vitamin kind of characteristic. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It, it smells a lot like Blaufrankish to me. Mm. Um, that sort of mix of yeah. Pinot and Syrah, um, which totally. is what I get on the palate as well. You mentioned yeah. the you mentioned California Pinot, um, which I totally get. But then I was also thinking that like salty, inky, like iodine character that I get from some Syrahs, mm-hmm. and definitely get from Blaufrankish or Cake Frankosh. Yeah, um, yeah, it, totally. It definitely seems to have that meld, that feel, that sort of lighter, fresher feel of Pinot with like that savory side i guess of totally sorry. um this area is uh, a combination of limestone and clay which is kind of the ideal setup uh limestone usually helps preserve acidity 
clay helps you get you know a little bit better yields, a little more weight to the wine. Um, they only macerated this for three days. Um, basically, in this vintage, they were getting like a lot fuller-bodied wines than they normally do, uh, and so they they kind of took it easy on maceration times on most of their their grapes. Um, it's really funny because the last time that I had this wine, it was definitely uh, lower alcohol. It was only like 12% alcohol. And so this year when it came in at 13%, I was like, well, that's going to be a different beast. Uh, <laughs> and then same thing happened with some of the other wines where it's like the alcohol levels were totally flipped from what I thought they were going to be. Um, the Prunelar last time I had it was also 12% alcohol. And then this year was like 14. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the Marcotte, which last time I had it was like 13.5% alcohol. This year was 12% alcohol. So it's like... <laughs> All the wines that I had tasted before, kind of going into this, being like, they're going to taste like this. They all essentially taste like a 180 from, from what I had originally tasted and intended, but they all taste equivalently delicious. And that's the thing, is that like I think a good winemaker should be able to make a great wine regardless of the vintage. Uh, and we're seeing this more and more across the board, just now that we understand the science of winemaking and the science of grape growing. Uh you know, more so than we did 100 years ago, that's for sure. So it's like, I don't think we really have bad vintages in the way that we used to. Uh, I still think there are little peaks and valleys, but the, it's definitely not exaggerated quite as much. So I think that a producer like this can make a great wine in essentially every single vintage, um, including this one, including mm -hmm. the one that we have in our glass. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you can also pick up uh, bottles of liqueur made out of tomatoes. Yeah, it's just exactly. amazing. <laughs> yeah, and the plum out of individually just... peeled tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. He's a wacky guy. He's, uh, yeah, he's hardcore. Definitely watch the. Uh, he has a really great video on Instagram, or not on Instagram, sorry, on YouTube. Um, that's like a little over a half an hour long, and he goes through his entire farm, his entire process. Uh, you get to see the cellar. You get to see the uh, the distillery. Uh, you get to see where he raises the tomatoes. <laughs> it's like. It's a crazy operation that he has, and he does pretty much everything by hand. Um, his his dad formerly owned uh, the distillery, and he's still hanging out there uh, doing his thing. He's just like amazing old French man, uh, exactly what you'd you'd want to see. Um, yeah, I don't know. Definitely another one of the producers we're gonna have to go visit because. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> for sure. Our list is our list is pretty long, Brennan. Uh sort of unexpectedly, but brought in yeah. a lot of producers over the last year and a half, totally. two years, I guess now. Well, I did meet him in Montreal. We did chat right. for a yeah. short period of time, but it was at Raw. And for anybody who's been to the Raw Wine Festival, it's kind of hard to have a conversation with anybody. It's all very overwhelming. <laughs> uh, so that was sort of the case there as well, too, where it's like we chatted, um, but we didn't have a chance to really like, you know, sit down and hang out. So we're definitely looking forward to uh, going and visiting. Can what kind of soil this is growing? Uh, limestone and clay. Yes. Okay. Let's yeah. Go. yeah. I mean, again, I know you can't. <laughs> I know there's no actual science behind, uh, you know, <laughs> there being any limestone in this, but it does smell like limestone. Or just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does have, and uh, like clay was actually what I was thinking on the, mm. on the palate, especially it has this like, I just think of like dark, deep flavors, mm. sort of kind of earthy but more stony yeah it's funny because yeah the nose is definitely really limestoney to me but i see what you mean on the palate where it's like got that weight that richness mm -hmm. damn this is opening up super nice yeah the texture yeah. on the palate is what's really doing it for me like very like soft but broad and rich mm -hmm. um maybe it's just feeling that way because of the the van de chardin only being 11 percent mm -hmm. alcohol yeah. Could uh, be. <laughs> but this definitely feels like it's got some substance to it which is 
just delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, probably most people's first uh, introduction to Jurassic Au Noir. Uh, again, this is one that we, we ordered intentionally for the wine club, um, just knowing how cool it was. So hopefully uh, you've all enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything we have to say for today. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Uh, Thanks to Mark for being here and chatting. If anybody has any questions, you can reach us at, uh, well, you can reach me at eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. You can also send us a message on Instagram. It's just at juiceimports. We love hearing from you. I know everybody is always asking us to include more um, sort of uh, generic wine content, as in uh, just talk more about how wine is made, etc. If you have specific questions, definitely send us an email because we'd love to know what you'd actually like us to include in this podcast. Uh, Regardless, thank you so much for listening. We'll chat with you again next month.